This is BTS with CTV, behind the scenes, behind the stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver newsroom. My name is Penny Daphilis and I'm your host, here to guide you behind the curtain. And today we're peeling back the curtain on Chopper 9. And in fact, this is a special episode of BTS because we are crammed in the back of Chopper 9 right now. I'm with Murray Merman Titus, ace cameraman, and Jim Stibbert, uh, one of our ace pilots, two of the most passionate members of the team. We literally did not have room in this helicopter for the other photographers. Pete Klein and Gary Bart, who also love this job, and the other pilots, Jarrett Lunn and Colin Pelton, who also love to fly Chopper 9. There's barely room for the three of us in here, guys. Uh, I'm really sorry for bringing you in here, but I thought it'd be kind of cool. So thank you for joining me from the tight confines in the back of Chopper 9. My pleasure. I had no idea what it looked like back here. You're, you're, You're welcome. That's a great place to start is how we configure Chopper 9. So Jim sits on the front right. When there's a reporter in Chopper 9, I would sit in the front left. Murray Titus sits in the back. And Jim, why do you sit in that seat? And is that common in helicopters, just for people who aren't familiar with uh, helicopter configuration? Yes, it's very common in helicopters, especially intermediate helicopters like this Bell, the Long Ranger L4. There's a number of reasons for it, but historically it had to do with uh, the weight of the helicopter and what skid was uh, low, unless you're uh, running a medium or something like that where you might be long lining out of the left window most of the time you'll see the pilot in the right hand side Okay, and then uh, Murray, or the uh, photographer, uh, sits in the back. And Murray, it's kind of old-school television back here is what it looks like. Yeah, it's uh, we've got a, a record deck where I can record images as taken from Chopper 9. We have a, a radio array here so I can listen to um, CTV control at uh, Robson and Burrard. Well, actually, two radio uh, systems. Uh, the second one is for what they call IFB. That's for the reporter if she's happened or he or she happens to be up front. So she can hear the uh, director call the show and uh, give uh, cues, and she can also hear the show back. That's what I've got in front of me. I've got some audio controls here, too, but they're down by my knees, and I'm a camera guy. When do I I ever adjust audio? (laughs) Well, and uh, the actual control for the camera, I guess what makes me think old school is it looks kind of like a video controller, you guys. It's basically like a little joystick. It's a big panel here, lots of buttons and stuff, and 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 Murray, that lets you um, figure out where the camera's pointing and and all sorts of uh, fine-tuning adjustments that you can do. That's correct. Uh, the main camera is a uh, Fleur Ultramedia 3. It has a uh, rather substantial lens on it, and I can control this with a number of controls. There's a couple of automatic, uh, what they call pot controls, where I can add tilt or, or pan into the mechanism so I could go hands-free. But uh, I prefer to use the joystick because it's a direct control, and I can adjust accordingly in a split second as opposed to have to fiddle with these knobs Yeah, somebody said that uh, playing video games would uh, not amount to anything. Well, it's got me a career, so here I am. What's interesting about uh, the setup that we have is it's uh, it's broadcast, so obviously we're able to send the video back to the station and whatnot, but it's the uh, the gyro and the stabilizers that we have, because if someone is on vacation, you go to Hawaii, you get one of those helicopter tours, you're trying to take a, a video, mm-hmm. it's not going to be anywhere near stable as the image that we're putting up, because it's a really sophisticated array of stabilizing the image. Well, Jim's a pretty stable pilot, as we... Sp- Unstable, but I fly smooth. Yeah, he flies smooth, <laughs> but uh, there's a series of gimbals and gyros in the camera ball housing that keeps the camera relatively stable they take a lot of the motion i mean when we're flying this machine is vibrating in all directions at all times there are even some inputs here on my control panel that can take those vibrations and inputs that are translated through my hand as we're flying into the joystick i can dull the joystick down so i can null those out 
This fire started shortly after 4 o'clock, and it seems it's been burning quite intensely since then, because from what I can tell up here in Chopper 9, that entire top floor looks gutted. It is absolutely black inside there. Those flames still roaring. I think you can see them right there, despite all that water from all those jets being poured on them. Jim, I, I, you've flown a lot of different types of helicopters, a lot of different types of jobs. You've done long line rescues, you've flown up north, you've flown all over the place, but this is a different animal because, I mean, we can't really show our listeners right now, but you've got a tiny monitor, so you're able to see what Murray is filming in the back. How is it different for you flying for news and, and for a camera than it is flying for other things? First of all, the interesting thing about ENG is that we fly primarily over built-up areas, so Metro Vancouver, occasional forays to Victoria and the island and maybe into the interior. So that presents its own challenges because you're always in controlled airspace. Usually if we're over an event, there's going to be other news helicopters or fixed wing and potentially the RCMP. So it can get to be very congested airspace sometimes, which uh, makes it, you know, comes with its own challenges and excitements. We also get the opportunity to fly at night, which is something that not a lot of people get to do, uh, particularly in helicopters. So uh, wintertime, our evening patrol is always done at night. It's a magical sight. I mean, I know that you're busy working and trying to keep us from dying in this flying tin can, but I'm able to just sit in the front because I have a, a monitor that shows me what's on TV, a monitor that shows me what uh, Murray's filming so that I can figure out what I'm going to say to the viewers. And I just get to, for the most part, enjoy the view if we're just on a show patrol, but you're constantly trying to keep us stabilized. As you say, There's it's uh, Vancouver uh, with float planes and everything else. You mentioned the uh, when it's we're at a, a busy location and there's a lot of aircraft there. Explain what a stack is and how important it is to try to get there first. Flying Chopper 9 for CTV, our interest primarily is to get the best shot. It's a competitive world out there, so you know we try to get on the scene first and as they stack up aircraft usually in 500 foot intervals we want to obviously be the lowest or have the best position to get the uh, the shot well and i guess one thing that i learned uh flying in chopper nine because i i did this for several years i always thought that a helicopter could stay in one spot that what you see yeah. is literally a machine staying in one spot, but we're actually, when people see those very stable shots um, of what's going on at a scene, we're actually orbiting, and it's we're going in circles. Yeah, so that's a couple of good things uh, to talk about there. Number one, you can come to a hover. Unfortunately, uh, this machine, the way it's configured as an ENG machine, news gathering mm -hmm. machine, is quite heavy. We fly at almost max gross all the time. Couple that with a big, heavy camera guy in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Well, if there's a bit of a breeze, you know, if we get a 20-knot headwind or whatever, we can bring it into a hover. But a lot of the times we can't, and it forces us into kind of an orbit, and everybody's doing uh, an orbit in that stack that we were talking about earlier. That in itself offers all kinds of challenges. Certainly when I came here, it was learning to keep the skid out of the shot, which is, you know, it's quite uh, quite a thing. You like, did good. Yeah. And just for our listeners who may not know, a skid is it's basically the feet of the helicopter, yeah, which the are quite long. Thing, it's yeah. the and there's uh, on CTV. We've also got some inflatable pontoons if we ever had to make a water landing. So there's actually a significant amount of bulk on either side of the camera, which is bolted to the underbelly of the aircraft. Yeah. So it takes a and and I actually that's a really good point. Um, what I love about aerial news gathering that's so different from anything else is the dance between the pilot and the cameraman and the reporter because yeah. 
you are restricted by where it's safe to go, who's around, while trying to get the shots for Murray. So between the two of you have to figure out what you're able to do. And then I have to figure out based on what I want to say about what's happening at the time. And sometimes I can say to Murray, actually, Murray, I vividly remember we were covering a, um, in Coquitlam a few years ago, it was a fire at a townhome complex. Yeah, yeah I remember. It, and we were there for, till we ran out of fuel, then we had to go refuel and come back. And um, I was really struck by, there was a firefighter on the end of a long ladder. I remember that. And this one guy had been there for, we were watching him for like half an hour. So we had done several live reports into the newscast. And I said, Murray, can you zoom in on that firefighter? Because I want to start this next hit, this next update talking about what a good job he's doing and that's actually a rare thing for me to tell you guys what to start with but it's it's a delicate dance isn't it Mark? It, it is we both operate as second sets of eyes for each other I mean when we're flying to a, a scene I listen in on the uh, air to um, terminal channels and listen to air to air traffic if we're looking for another plane I can use the camera to go scan for it because we have to maintain a visual when the tower calls out that there's another aircraft we have to go and acknowledge that we can see it and if we see other hazards or whatnot you know somebody who might not be talking on the radio and whatnot and flying through airspace if i see it you know i call it out so it's a team effort jim and the others help me because where I, my position in the helicopter is quite restricted i have one window and that's out my left side and i'm constantly looking at my monitors, positioning my camera, and I can lose spatial awareness and just exactly where the camera's pointed. Sometimes Jim will help me out by suggesting that the target that we're looking for is, you know, maybe under 2 o'clock. So I can just simply move my camera, use my indicators to go and get the camera approximately 2 o'clock off of our nose and start searching. And uh, he'll call out other ground references for me. And, once I, and that's kind of how we, especially some of these really... The tough to find targets, you know, and oftentimes, you know, they could be a police situation that's unfolding and delicate, and it's a matter of looking for the telltales from up above, you know, presence of police vehicles. At night, it's a little easier because flashing lights, the light carries a little better in the in the dark. Uh, it's a team thing, and it's communications the key. How, how do you find the dance, Jim? I, I know that there's a, when there is a certain red-haired reporter in here, she can be a little bit distracting because she's a chatterbox because you guys are busy and she's just enjoying the view. But uh, no, it's wonderful. But um, she's <clears throat> been isolated before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've isolated. Okay, and what they mean by that is since the helicopter's so loud, we're all on headphones with microphones because otherwise we'd never hear each other. And yes, sometimes it goes quiet, and I'm like, why aren't they responding to what I have to say? It's because they're working, and I'm just enjoying the view when we're on a show patrol. It's because we've yeah click this little button right here you might be able to hear it here oh yeah and it never causes any problems it's we've had fun. we've had some really good experiences in this helicopter yeah, I and the three of us absolutely yes, absolutely yeah. and you know i have to interject here and go back a, a couple of seasons ago it was coming up on uh, the witching hour and showtime and we were tasked to go fly to an escaped emu in, in nanaimo in nanaimo Emus in Nanaimo. And, of course, my response is, how the hell are we going to see an emu from 1,500 feet who was camouflaged and running through the forest? And had been missing for a week. This person couldn't find it for a week. There had been an extensive search for the stupid emu. I think the emu named Lucy. Lucy was the emu's name. Yeah. Whatever. It it wasn't important to me. All I know is I was grossing about it because I just thought it was a complete waste of time. So off we go. And so on the way over, of course, I'm sure you guys remember it like I do. I'm bitching in back here about having to go and, and look for this stupid emu. 
As we're, as we're crossing the Strait of Georgia, I noticed something that was at quite a distance. It looked to me like a group of seagulls close to the water, and that often indicates a fishing boat. And when I saw that there was no boat, I thought, hmm, that white flashing that I'm getting on my lens, and I'm like zoomed way in. As we fl flew closer, I zoomed in as, as close as I could, and I noticed that these were splashes coming up out of the water, and there were hundreds of them. And as we get closer and closer and closer, Lo and behold, what do we find? We find the superpod of, of, of Pacific dolphin headed north. Amongst the three of us, I mean, that was one of the most incredible things that I've seen in the air because it was just such an oddity. Uh, but still, we had to press on to Nanaimo. The strange part was they captured the thing as we arrived, so we actually got to see the emu being perp-walked into the back of a truck. They had nets ready to nab her, uh, him rather, it's a, I keep forgetting, Lucy is a him. He's a 150 pound, two meter tall bird. So tough to maneuver him into that van, as you can see there when they did finally catch him. Now Lucy flew the coop from a bird sanctuary on Sunday, running all over Nanaimo in the meantime. Lots of sightings, chasing a dog. One man even petted the bird, but everything was fruitless until a few minutes ago when they finally nabbed him. And then as we came back, we, we we sort of headed toward where we last saw the superpod and saw it again. When we landed, I, I just remember thinking that that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You know, emu aside, and uh, it, it goes it goes down as one of the great moments that I've had I've experienced flying. That Indeed. was a magical, like just that feeling of knowing that we were seeing and experiencing something that so few people ever would because we were right above it was a school of herring or something wasn't it because that's when i remember seeing a dark smudge kind of on the horizon this is an absolutely unbelievable sight we are seeing a massive pod of dolphins they appear to be feasting on a really huge school of herring we were just flying out over the open water we saw a spot of darkness which we believe to be herring and then look at that dolphins feasting the birds are coming down for their own little taste I don't think I've been that high-pitched on the air <laughs> since I was very first on the air and very nervous because it was just such an exciting thing that yeah. you couldn't help. Like, I think we all, like, stepped off with, like, the biggest smiles on our faces because we were just elated. Like, just that feeling of experiencing something like that was just amazing. Well, again, we see some incredible things, and my colleagues have been uh, in flight during a lunar eclipse, shooting the uh, full moon, plane flies through the moon, I mean, it's pretty incredible. The moon has to be low in the sky for us to see it because of the tilt on the camera. When you're zoomed all the way in and you have, you've made some uh, adjustments, you can see the, the mountains and the crevices and a lot of the real fine detail of the lunar surface. So for me, it's like being with Buzz and Neil up there. Uh, so I always get a kick out of that. And the, the, the station always seems to, to enjoy the full moon shots if you can get them, especially if, if the moon is on the rise coming up over the North Mountains. Th th that's always fun. What's your favorite flight, Jim, or your most memorable flight? Well, certainly the one that Merman just described there. You know, there's there's so many of them. Just about every flight, and we go up in Chopper 9, there's something that's unique. One of them was uh, Pete Klein, again, this time with whales. There was that uh, migrant whale, I think it's the J-Pod, that's the, uh, the, no, the mammal hunters. The bigs, yeah. is, the bigs is killer whales, yeah. And they came in, and uh, we were along the north shore there, and uh, he zoomed right in, and uh, the whale kicked up a... Uh, sea lion and as it did chomped it right in half <laughs> i'm watching on the monitor which is like whoa that's pretty cool 
it never made it to the six o'clock news. I'm not yeah, sure why. I think why, it's but. a little, yeah, <laughs> but, a little much during the dinner but, hour, shall we say? Yeah, but it was very. Uh, that's not something you see every day. No. But another one that we did, which Penny, I think you remember, was uh, to go up and look at Cedar Woman. Well, that'd be a couple of years ago now, after the Elaho fire was done. That was special. Going up that valley and seeing the destruction firsthand, and seeing how Cedar Woman managed to to survive. Just on that, because that is one of my most memorable flights as well, there was a couple years ago one of the worst wildfire seasons we'd ever seen on the coast. And it turns out that through the Ilaho Valley there was just so much widespread destruction and that these fires had actually come very close to, they they definitely put at risk Squamish, Whistler and Pemberton, so we wanted to go see how close uh, the devastation came to these communities, because there was a point, was there not, that if if the fire broke through a certain area it was unstoppable. Yeah, down by Daisy Lake there. Right, and so um, we decided to do a story just to show exactly what that looked like, because one of the things that Jim had seen on a, a previous flight unrelated to Chopper 9 was the Ilaho Giant, which is a, a legendary tree up in that area. There were a lot of concerns that it would be decimated. It ended up being damaged, I believe. It, yeah, I think it's dead now. It's dead. Yeah, it's dead. gone now. Okay. 3,000. Because there were so many fires racing through that area, and uh, but there's a... A landmark there that not a lot of people have seen. It's called the Cedar Woman. It's this amazing First Nation statue. It's, um, I don't. It looks like it's probably made out of like with a chainsaw or something like that. It's just this simple thing and hard to get there without a helicopter. But Jim landed. Uh, myself and Pete Klein over there and poor Pete was lugging all the gear I, had, <laughs> well, I think you had the tripod and everything yeah, I still got the picture of him coming out of the woods man <laughs> that was a rough because it, where we could land the helicopter you know there was it was about a 15 minute walk just kind of climbing around and trying to get uh, shots of the Cedar Woman and of course I wanted to stand up there because it was such an amazing yeah. thing and that was that flight was we got to see all the mountains and everything there like that was another how many people get to see that? It's just such a rare, mm-hmm. beautiful thing up there. That That's top three for me as well. Oh, yeah. And then just we're fortunate, all of us here at Talon, end up flying forest fires. And because of our relationship with the various forestry agencies or wildfire management agencies, we're usually allowed into the zones and uh, given clearance to go cover uh, at a fairly close range the uh, fires and the ongoing fire suppression efforts and uh, that's led to some pretty uh, awesome shots yeah, I know pretty dramatic stuff yeah. uh, Jim mentions uh, you know the firefighting bit but I mean Jim's also a rescue pilot with uh, the various uh, rescue agencies in, in this region uh, we get to see some pretty incredible uh, work by the men and women of, of various uh, search and rescue organizations they're out there saving lives and putting their own at risk and we're there to document it, and it's pretty incredible. And when you see where some of these people are, are getting plucked out of, you're just wondering, first of all, how the hell did they get there, uh, number one? And number two, my God, you got to have some pretty big kahunas to get on the end of a long line and go pluck somebody out. Jim flies these people all the time, you know, at the end of of a long line on on, on his uh, on his other helicopter, <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and we that's... get to, we get to watch it. And I think I mean a lot of this podcast has been really personal in terms of our experiences yeah. and stuff. But the reason that we get excited when we get those shots and we're able to to be in that moment is because that's the magic of of TV. And then whether we put it online or however people consume it, mm-hmm. to be able to take those mm-hmm. moments to people who how many people would ever be able to see a rescue like that to see what it looks like yeah. from the air? Well, they're pure. They're pure. Because, you know, as we see them, they're not edited. They're just happening. There's a, a bit of distance as well because when you're up close and personal, 
things can get emotional and whatnot. We're a little bit emotionally detached, I suppose. It's a privilege to watch them happen, and they are they, they, are these pure moments that we could not otherwise bring to our viewer or our listener unless we were there to see it and witness it. You know, that's the beauty of this particular platform, is that we can get to places where people on the ground can't get to as and it's easily. Im- and it's important to tell those stories yeah. for people to see the kind of terrain that we're talking about for a rescue. Mm-hmm. I remember, was it, I can't remember if we were flying together, Jim, but um, there was that plane that had crashed in the North Shore Mountains. Yep. Um, and I remember going in Chopper 9 because we wanted to see what the surge was going to be like and had somebody told me what it was like I could have reported on it but to see it for myself the fact that rescuers were searching for a white plane as the snow was falling and not just on the ground it was falling heavily from the sky and for us to see for ourselves like we were looking for that same aircraft and it was literally needle in a haystack and you somebody could have expressed that to you but to see it as a journalist and then for me to convey it I just felt it was such a a gift to be able to have that insight to try to express that difficult task. Yeah, well, it adds another element or facet to the story that otherwise, it helps to complete the whole story. You can see um, visuals from the ground, for example, to know how big of a police presence there was at a, at a, there's been more than once that we've gone to Surrey because it's been a whole bunch of officers called for a a call for a man with a gun. And it's great to be able to see those visuals from the ground, have reports from the ground. But when you're up in the air and you can see how large of an area they've closed off it's rattling because you realize the gravity of the situation which is just a different element uh, to be able to express the, that kind of work that's going on well we bring up another another interesting point in what we do and that's breaking news okay because that's really what this machine is all about is breaking news so something happens and we get tipped off we can get there relatively fast we don't have to go through traffic we can fly there generally in a straight line and we can establish our position over the scene. Now, you bring up a police situation, man with a gun, whatever the case may be, a tactical situation. It's important to note that our policy is that we will not broadcast a tactical situation live. Now, that's not to say I don't shoot it, because the story needs to be told. There's always a follow-up story. There's always, it's wrapped up, let's say, at 4 in the afternoon. We have the 6 o'clock news, bad guys in custody. We need those images to tell the story. However, we're not showing tactical positions For the safety of the public, for the the safety of the officers. That's a CTV policy that we're never going to put anybody in jeopardy. That that is correct. They can be quite tense because, you know, you can see little groups of armed dudes moving about. You know, from my perch up here, I've seen, uh, you know, flashbangs go off and entries happen and bad guys get, you know, taken away. Uh, but, uh, you know, the best moments in Chopper 9 is, is some of these other less urgent type of, uh, type of uh, moments that uh, give us the opportunity to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more artistic, or, you know, sometimes, like I say, the uniqueness of the situation, such as the super pot. And I just want to say it's not always fun, because uh, let me tell you, my very first flight in Chopper 9, I was not the helicopter reporter. I had uh, done a bunch of reporting, but I'd never been in Chopper 9. And I remember it was a long weekend. There were huge lineups at the border, and they were looking to send a reporter (laughs) to Chopper 9 because the helicopter was not staffed with a reporter at the time. And so my boss asked me, he's like, well, how do you fly? I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never been in a helicopter. And he said, okay, well, let's go down there and, and see what it's all about. Had the safety briefing and everything was fine. And I was 
really enjoying myself. I did a report where I got to, so that's a, I guess one thing we haven't touched on either is the, uh, what it's like for the reporter. You have to speak to what you're seeing, um, to augment it. You don't want to describe what somebody's already seeing. You want to give them some extra context, some information that they're not seeing in what's, uh, being captured by the camera. Yeah, you want to give them context, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so everything was going really well. And I was having such an amazing time on my first helicopter ride until I made the mistake of looking straight down at the ground. That was really terrible, and I ended up landing green in the face. And there have been a few times, it's not that I ever felt unsafe, but there were a few times that we got, we'd been pushed around by the wind. Yeah, that that was, by the time we land, fun. it's not it's not a great experience. So yes, there there's a lot of wonderful things flying Chopper 9, but there's also um, some unpleasantness if, if the weather's not good. And there have been times we've had to um, call short our flights, haven't there, Jim? Just mm -hmm. because of the uh, weather conditions change, and it's just not... No news story is worth putting our safety at risk. And the safety of ourselves and the people that are in the air and the people on the ground. So, yeah, in the wintertime when it's icing conditions or the clouds are too low or... Low clouds, high winds, yeah, high winds, lightning. And so, you know, just to touch on something or to elaborate further on something you said about being the, the novice reporter, you come out here. Now let me ask you. So, of course, that doesn't really make you qualified to be flying in the uh, Chopper 9 all the time. You had to take some additional training, which I believe involved a dunk tank, which I think, obviously, you should expand on a bit. And yeah. then I'll get back to some other things. Okay, so that's one thing I guess I should have mentioned is that uh, CTV takes safety really seriously. So anybody who's going to be in Chopper 9 regularly reporting after I got over that initial nausea and never looked straight down at the ground again because I learned my lesson um, they send us for uh, it's called underwater egress training it is and uh, it's a it's a course that they send you for the day in the morning you sit down in a classroom and uh, this um, lovely couple explain um, how uh, bad things can happen in aircraft. They go over um, terrible situations with fixed-wing aircraft, with helicopters, what went wrong, um, everything from optical illusions to uh, mechanical failures, just explaining to you how all sorts of well-known um, incidents happened. Um, it's really rational. They show you a lot of pictures and they explain things so you feel really empowered and you feel like you've, you've learned a lot, which you have. Uh, then you go have lunch. And then in the afternoon, you go to a local leisure center where fully clothed, you have to jump into a swimming pool, uh, learn how to get in and out of a life raft, fully clothed again, because guess what? If you're making a water landing, you ain't going to be wearing your swimsuit. And they also have, it's it's almost like a little cage that you climb in and it's it's a cockpit simulator. Basically, you just sit in it. You're um, basically chest high in the water. And what they do is they flip it upside down and you have to practice the procedure to find your reference point, open the door, unlock your seatbelt as I, as I touch the side of the, side of the helicopter, uh, and then pull yourself out because guess what? If a helicopter, God forbid, the worst comes to worst, uh, the weight is on the top. And so you're probably going to be upside down. That is one of the most humbling experiences of my life, being upside down in a swimming pool and having to unlock a door and, un and open my seatbelt to get out. And it's one of those things that I do think of when we're in Chopper 9, when, when I get out of the aircraft, every time I actually do try to do those moves so that if the worst should happen, I don't have to think twice because we have a good time in here. There's great camaraderie. There's great stories to tell, but it, there is a, a dangerous element to this as well. Well, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> There's risk. There's, There's risk, risk that we yes. mitigate every day. When you're on board here as a reporter, you're not a passenger. 
you're part of the crew and so you're an active member of the crew and you're part of our whole crew resource management in other words you're responsible for seeing uh, obstacles or hazards or other aircraft and report them to the pilot so that's part of having that relationship where you can identify and locate uh, you know you're just not along for the ride no, and I remember one time actually there was a weird sound behind me and I didn't know what it was and it was like a like a clicking sound. I didn't know if there was a mechanical problem. Turned out there was some sort of manual or something yeah. that had moved from where it normally sits and the pages were flapping around. But I was and I think it was like the week after I did this egress training, I was like, Jim, I hear something I shouldn't be hearing and we had to find it, but you were really great about that. You didn't make me feel stupid because what if it was something serious? Like that's the kind of stuff that as I'm checking my emails for updates on a story that we're gonna have to report on and trying to get facts and Murray's, you know, trying to do his best visuals and you're, you know, trying to keep us level and everything else. You know, we have to be able to trust each other that, you know, something like that comes up and we can talk there about that. There are no stupid observations or questions. Yeah, you're part of the crew and that's yeah. the big thing that, you know, you're not just here as a passenger. You're you're actively involved in, in the operation of the aircraft. So, Well, I consider myself one of the most privileged and lucky individuals in the entire network. Every third week I get to come out here and enjoy the uh, news hunting adventure from the sky. For me, it's been like winning the lotto. So, yeah, no, it's not all just a, the fun doesn't end here in the helicopter, although that's the biggest chunk of it. But you just think, like up in that CTV office in the hangar, while we're waiting for breaking news, we've had some lively discussions and uh, interesting times together. Of ones of memory, I do need to, or of note, anyways, would be Baklava and um, I think it was Suzuki and Pita one time, and uh, and it's. I try to treat you well. I know, but it's been sadly missing in the last while, so yeah. that's why my emaciated condition that I'm in. In the meantime, you know, here's hoping for good weather. Yeah. Clear skies. Clear skies and tailwinds. I really want to thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Oh, awesome. Anytime, Penny. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this edition of BTS with CTV. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. 